Welcome to Bloodbath, a true crime podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Jamie. Wait, Ash, did you say true crime? I did. So if I'm easily creeped out or offended by super religious people who do crazy things for white supremacy, then this probably isn't the podcast for me. Oh, no, no. No, this isn't a podcast for me. I gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Consider that your blanket trigger warning. You're about to listen to a real true crime podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. It's time for the show. And we're back. Hi. Hello. So, um... I'm pretty sure we've had this conversation, um, but I, I don't know if everybody knows about this, but the degrees of separation. Okay. So yeah. there was a study done long a while ago, and there was a whole book about it, about the six degrees of separation. And this was before oh, social yes, media yeah. and Facebook and everything. So that meant that if you met somebody within six connections of theirs, you wouldn't meet somebody else that you already knew kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And nowadays they say that it's about 3.2 degrees of separation from somebody that you're meeting to somebody that you know because of social media oh that's kind of terrifying it is especially when we're talking about murder cases yeah (laughs) so this person is about four degrees away from us what so my cousin is friends with this murderer's cousin whoa Mm -hmm. do tell me more actually that's three (laughs) degrees yeah you're four degrees i'm three degrees so yeah yeah it's it's great. You've probably heard of this person. He's a pretty pretty well-known name. Okay. And he's a monster. So, Israel Keys was born on January oh. 7th, 1978. Oh, she says. <laughs> I do know this. Yeah. Go on. Tell you know me this more. Guy. Well, he's three degrees away from us, so. Disgusting. Um, disgusting. He was born in Richmond, Utah to Heidi and John Jeffrey Keys. He was the second of 10 children originally from Torrance, California, (laughs) but they moved to Utah to continue with their Mormonism. At this point, when they moved to Utah, the Keys kids were homeschooled until uh, up until 1983. And that's when Keys father decided to move away from the Mormon faith and he moved his family and away from the faith to an obscure plot of land in Colville, Washington. And that was when Israel was just five years old. And that's all 12 of them living in a one-room cabin isolated without electricity or running water. No, thank you. Would not survive. Would not. No. No, would not. (laughs) And um, (laughs) at this point, Israel makes a friend up here named Chevy Kehoe. And we'll get into that relationship later. But just wanted to mention that name. Um, Okay. In Colville, the family started attending a church called The Ark. Now, this church, uh, they practice extreme white supremacy and Christian identity ideology. So it advocates the belief that only Celtic or Germanic peoples or Anglo-Saxon Nordic nations and or Aryan people are the kindred blood of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, the descendants are holier than thou. And then you couple that with the white supremacy and you got a recipe for disaster. It's just, it's awful. Yeah. No, thank you. Well, the family decided that that wasn't enough religion for them. So they found another church in Colville called the Christian Israeli Covenant Church that taught British Israelism 
as their doctrine. So you could they would not believe and refuse to allow people to marry to marry someone in a different race. Oh God! Like that you had How to be Hitler of them. Yeah, exactly. And they believed that Anglo-Saxons were to rule over all of the, quote, inferior races. And it was a militia-like church where it was like the army of God, the white army of God. Disgusting. It's just insane. So here we are with the 12 people, 10 of them children, all in the one room cabin. So, of course, some of the children slept outside in a tent because the cabin was too small. And the children were also made to hunt their own food chop their own firewood and work on local farms to support the family i'm all about like kids having chores but that's a little extreme (laughs) a little bit a little bit you know like maybe maybe provide the food for your children just a little bit at the bare minimum you know so it's at this point that it start that israel starts showing signs of the true darkness within him as a hobby he started hunting anything with a heartbeat in quotes and admitted oh to skinning a deer alive to his mm. friends at church. He told them that he did that. And so the kids actively avoided him there. And one Good. girl from the Christian Israel Covenant Church said that when she was around Israel Keys, it made her skin crawl. Good for her. She's She's got a good brain up there. She got a good tummy. They're yeah. telling her to trust her instincts. And she's trusting them. And keep away. And keep away. Uh, Israel also started shooting at the neighbor's houses with his BB gun for fun. Fun. Casually. Casual. It does kind of sound like a little boy thing to do. My brother did that, but my brother's also Mm, mentally stable. We're not going to talk about that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And we digress. (laughs) He started fires in the woods and he started breaking into neighbor's houses for fun. Yeah, we don't do that for fun. That's That's, a nightmare. That's not a hobby. Get new hobbies. Yeah. By the age of 14... Israel Keys stood at six foot two. So he was an intimidating oh. person to be around. Like 14 years old. Like you're still in, you're just barely in high school at that point. Like six foot two. That is insane. Yeah. Pretty scary. So at some point, Keys' parents ended up offering the cabin to some friends of theirs. Like, here's some shelter. You can stay with us. Okay. And these friends had a son and a daughter. Um, and Israel was like, hey, come hang out with me and my sister. And he takes them to, and shows them the most gruesome thing. And I have to I have to put in another trigger warning. Oh, wow. I was not okay with this. I had to stop doing notes on this. Um, but that's because I'm particular to cats and this is about animal abuse. So oh, no, no, trigger no, no. warning. Uh, so Israel is with the son and daughter, the personal friends and a sister. And he takes a cat and he ties it to a tree with a parachute cord. And then he hits it with his twenty-two revolver. And so the cat starts circling around the tree and crashes into the yeah. tree and then vomits on the tree. And the little boy who was with them ended up vomiting as well after seeing this. And it's yeah. at this point that Israel like has like an epiphany. And he's like, I have this power over people and people are afraid of me. Mm. And during these years, Israel had also become a skilled carpenter, and he actually ended up building a wooden cabin for his family at age 16, so they had more space, which is nice. But for some reason, right after this, um, his family relocated to Smyrna, Maine, where they collected sap for maple syrup production in the Amish community. And, I mean, the parents are 
overzealous religious people. So the kids were basically forced to have secret lives where they'd have to like sneak out to even go to the movies, you know? Yeah. Um, and they weren't even allowed to learn musical instruments because it was against God. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Okay. I haven't been to a many churches, but they all had music. They do. Yeah. <laughs> except for the super that. religious ones. So <laughs> cult, cult, cult. <laughs> um, if there's not music in your church, you're in a cult. You're in a cult. Yeah. <laughs> so it was at this time that Israel started denouncing his Christian faith. And he okay. went so far as after an argument with his parents, he said, I'm an atheist. And they said, then kick it to the curb. Goodbye. You're shunned. Goodbye. We don't love you. Yeah. Saw that happening. Um, and he told the, his siblings were told to never contact him again or talk to him. So at this point, he is wow. alone. Exiled. And he's, you know, the second oldest. Like, they all looked up to him, you know? So... He develops an interest with Satanism, and he actually started planning um, on committing a ritualistic murder for Satanism, which if you read the tenets of Satanism, that's not what it's about, Mm -hmm. but whatever. Anyway, so the summer of 97... do a whole episode on that. uh, Really should with the Satanic Panic. Uh, In the summer of 97, Israel allegedly committed a sexual assault on a teenage girl who had been riding a tube with her friends down the Deschutes River in Maupin, Oregon. I've been there. I ride that route all the time i go whitewater rafting into shoots fuck you dude Mm -mm. this was not his first sexual assault but it's the first one reported um he stalked her from the tree line and very violently assaulted her she was between 14 and 18 years of age and he held her at knife point and he did want to murder her for the satanic ritual but ended up letting her go okay um and super great of course july 9th 1998 he decided to enlist in the united states army in the state of New Jersey, and Casual. served as a specialist in the Alpha Company 1st Battalion 5th Infantry. Um, he supposedly passed a rigorous month-long course to be an army ranger. I don't know how, considering his background and his psyche. Yeah. But it's the government, so can we really trust them? <laughs> <laughs> you know? You know? Especially back then. Yeah. Especially uh, now. What am I talking about? What am I talking about? <laughs> He was stationed in Fort Lewis, Fort Hood, and he spent a lot of time in Sinai, Egypt, on his deployments. Um, He did not admit to any murders during his three years in the United States Army, but he did admit to twice attempting rapes on women, uh, once when he was stationed in Egypt and another time on leave in Israel. His army friends said that he kept to himself and he was very quiet, and on weekends he would drink Heavily, consuming almost entire bottles of his favorite wild turkey bourbon. Oh, God. Wild turkey. (laughs) He was also a fan of the well-known band of the Insane Clown Posse. Oh, no. (laughs) Do not call me out, okay? I'm calling you out. It is not my fault. My mother raised me on it. I had no choice, but I did choose to remember all the words to Boogie Boogie Woo. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) my favorite song. (laughs) He even had their posters. Hey, they're good people. I mean, they're Christian. They are. Yeah. They give to so many charities. Yeah. Their music's just the very opposite of that. It's very interesting. <laughs> um, it's contrasting. <laughs> it is. Very much so. All right. So in February 2001, Israel was arrested for a DUI in Thurston County, and he pled guilty and was fined $350. In 2000, Israel was involved with a woman who lived on the Macaw Reservation in Washington, and they actually had a daughter born in 2001. Um, and that this point, Keyes was honorably discharged and relocated to Nea Bay, Washington. 
And in 2007, he started his own construction business in Alaska and called it Keys Construction. So, seems like a guy with anger issues, maybe some psychopathic tendencies and, you know, all that. Probably maybe committed all of the some above. things, some murders, some rapes, but yeah, let's really talk about what he did. Okay. So, what got him caught and put into jail is we have 18-year-old Samantha Koenig, who was a coffee booth employee in Anchorage, Alaska. Israel kidnapped Samantha from her coffee booth on February 1st, 2012. He took her debit card and he sexually assaulted her and killed her the following day and left her body in a shed. Oh my God. He then went to New Orleans where he departed on a pre-booked two-week cruise that he was going on with his family to the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, wow. He's like, just let me do this real quick and then leave town for a while. With his family, right? No big deal. Yeah. So when he got home from his trip, he removed Samantha's body from the shed. He put makeup on her face. He oh sewed her eyes open with fishing line and snapped a picture of the four-day-old issue of the Anchorage Daily News alongside her body so she would look like she was still alive and then demanded a $30,000 ransom. Oh, no. But wait. Oh. He then dismembers her body and disposes of it in, in the Matanuska Lake north of Anchorage. Again, in the water. And you demand ransom. And then you get rid of the body. And she's already dead. But they think she's alive, though, because of the way he took the photo. She looks yeah. alive. So, But he knows she's dead, so he's going to get rid of her. I guess. I don't know. It's just The thought process is there. It's just not thought out. And just don't kill people. <laughs> Which is really surprising when we get into his character. So at this point, the police were able to track the withdrawals from her account after, and and they they noticed that he was moving throughout the Southwest. And so he was arrested by Texas Highway Patrol Corporal Brian Henry and Texas Ranger Stephen Rayburn in the parking lot of the Cotton Patch Cafe in Lufkin, Texas on March 13, 2012. Investigators had circulated a bulletin with his car and that car had been used at different ATMs. Like they, they saw him pull up on the ATM camera and withdraw money from Samantha Koenig's account. Hmm. Yeah. And they're like, okay, that doesn't, that's not adding up <laughs> or it yeah. is adding up. No, that's it's not her. So it's him. Like, yeah. Let's get him. Yeah. It's his car. Yeah. So Lufkin <laughs> police department patrolman, Chris Nash had identified Israel's car and spotted him near the car. And so Israel was stopped after he drove a little bit over the speed limit and this was, like, all while they're surveying him, basically. Yeah. Um, and then they searched his vehicle, and they spotted cash that was sprayed with the bright pink. So a dye pack from a bank robbery. Mm. They mm-hmm. found Samantha's ATM card and her cell phone in his car. Weird. Congratulations. You played yourself. Yep. Oh, so honey. he was extradited <laughs> to Alaska, where he confessed to murdering Samantha Koenig. And the trial was set to begin in March of 2013. But while in jail, he, of course, spoke to several investigators over a period of months, and he kind of cooperated, where he would pull them in with a little bit of detail and then stop talking about things. Ah. And he'd pull them in with a little bit more detail. Okay, I'm done talking. He just, like, he knew. Yeah, he was power tripping, and he was playing them, and he had such a way of talking about it where he'd pull them in, and they'd be, like, on the edge of their seats, and then he's like, I don't want to talk anymore. Mm. blue balling them yes. how dare you he was edging them <laughs> blue balls don't exist but whatever <laughs> <laughs> so he confessed to some of his crimes and wanted to be executed within a year 
uh, because he wanted to avoid publicity because he did not want anything negative about him to be said to his daughter or that his daughter would have to go through. Okay, I I get it, but don't do this shit then. It's as (laughs) simple as that. It is. Um, And he actually stopped cooperating entirely after his identity was discussed in the media. Yeah, saw that coming. (laughs) Uh, So Wednesday, May 23rd, 2012, Israel attempted to escape during a routine hearing. He used the wood shavings from a pencil to pick his cuffs. And as he tried to run away, they tasered him. Yes. So... He then managed to conceal a razor blade in his cell, which, of course, he wasn't allowed to have. Um, But he ended up unaliving himself on December 2nd, 2012. He slit his wrists and attempted strangulation. And in his suicide note they found under his body, there was an ode to murder. It didn't offer any clues about possible victims, though, which was unfortunate. But in 2020, the FBI released the drawings of 11 skulls and one pentagram, which had been drawn in blood and found under his jail cell bed. Oh and one of those drawings included the phrase, we are one. The FBI does not believe the number of skulls correlates to the number of his victims, but the police okay. does, so they're differing on that. Yeah. I mean, they should just kind of look into that some more. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, you know. Um, so Israel Keys, I don't know if he reminds you of somebody, but he reminds me very, very much so of the only person he, of course, idolized. Well, none other than Theodore Bundy. Yeah. Yeah. Even down to the prison escape. Yeah. During the hearing. He like he wanted to be like Ted Bundy. And he wrote about it. Wait, he did? Like he he idolized and wanted to be the next Ted Bundy, but he never wanted to get caught. Oh my god. (laughs) I mean, none of them want to get caught, but well, Edmund Kemper a little bit. However, (laughs) I digress. Um Whoa. I wonder if he tried to do, like, the weight loss thing. Well, he wasn't ever put in a cell, was he? Only only when he got arrested for uh, Samantha Koenig's thing, so. Okay. Uh, but Damn, he... get better role models. Yeah, exactly. The phrase, the we are one, is believed to be, you know, like, he was believing he's the same as, as Ted. Oh, gross. Yeah, pretty fucking gross, right? Ooh. So, the 11 skulls in Pentagram, um, they might be the other murders that... And but like the scariest thing about Israel Keys that just keeps me up at night is that he did mm-hmm. not have an MO. He did not yeah, target a specific type of person. It was whoever crossed the campgrounds that he had planned to kill at. He had yeah. more of kill spots, not not the people. Not it was people. about the place. Mm-hmm. And so and he also liked to strangulate his victims, and he said it was because he got great pleasure from watching them lose consciousness in the struggle, and that's just fucking sick. Mm. Um, he claimed that he did not murder children of their parents, but that's not true, considering he did confess to killing several teens. Interesting. Yeah. So, and he said he also, didn't Ted kill Bundy children. Killed teenagers. Yeah. So, and teenagers are children. They're they're children. Is that so. they're literal children? Yeah. <laughs> like no. And he said he did it because he didn't want his daughter Lainey to find out about his acts. And that's why he didn't kill him. But, like, no. <laughs> You're lying. It's believed that his first murders were committed when he was a teenager between 96 and 98 around Colville. Oh, wow. So the two teen girls were killed in separate incidents and one of the girls' mothers as well. Um, Israel admitted to investigators that he killed four people in Washington State, but he did not have a felony criminal record in Washington. And so he'd been stopped on, like, driving-related offenses, but had never been taken in 
for that. So okay, they don't know if he was linked to those or not or around what time those people were killed and he didn't give names. So it is suspected that um, Israel might have been a suspect in a crime committed in Boca Raton, Florida, the Boca killer in 2007, where there are three cases where a mother and child were kidnapped from a shopping mall. Uh, then the mother and child were shot and killed and their bodies abandoned their vehicles. And then the third mother and child were released unharmed after several hours. But the kidnapper was wearing a mask and sunglasses and the mom caught a glimpse of his face and described him as tall, athletically built man with long hair. And that's exactly what Israel Keys looked like. Okay. So I don't know why he was going on like mother child kidnapping down in Boca Raton, but okay. That one seems a little fishy to me. It like, does. There's to other me tall too. people with long hair in the world. Yeah. So. And that's just like a very I, specific MO. Yeah. I wouldn't put that on him. Yeah. I don't know. That's another case to dive into. Yeah. <laughs> um, he confessed to one murder in New York State, and investigators were not able to determine if or where or why or how the murder may have occurred. They did oh regard God. the confession as credible. So don't know how they do that, but okay. That sounds like a we want to just close this chapter on this case, so we're just going to accept it. Yeah. And it's like, no, do the nitty-gritty work and actually look up, like look this up. Let's actually prove this. Exactly. Um, he did have ties to New York, though. He did own 10 acres in Constable, and he confessed mm-hmm. to committing bank robberies in New York and Texas, and the FBI were able to confirm that he did rob the community bank branch in Tupper Lake, New York, in April of 2009. And he also told authorities that he had burglarized a home in Texas and then set it on fire. Interesting. Which he did like fire yeah. as a kid. So yeah. maybe. Maybe I retract my statement. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This guy's all over the place. And literally all over the map. Author- authorities do claim that Israel might have murdered a woman believed to be Deborah Feldman in April of 2009 in New Jersey and then buried her near Tupper Lake, New York. He admitted to murdering Bill and Lorraine Courier of Essex, Vermont, where he broke into their home on the night of June 8th, 2001, and tied them up before driving them to an abandoned farmhouse where he shot Bill before he sexually assaulted and strangled Lorraine. Their bodies still have not been found. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. But two years before he committed the Courier murder, he had hidden a murder kit near their home. He dug a hole, put a murder kit in the ground... And, like, had planned this two years in advance. And if you don't know what murder kits got, like... There's somebody else that would do that, too. They would literally bury murder kits all over. Oh, my God. I don't even know who that was, but it sounds very familiar. Oh. That is terrifying. It's terrifying. Just... What? And after he committed... That makes me want to just go dig holes and find people's murder kits and take them and give them to the cops. And then they go back and they're like, what the fuck, man? Put silly string in there right exactly silly putty you know maybe a whoopee cushion (laughs) um after he committed this murder though he moved the contents of the murder kit to a new hiding place in parishville new york and it remained there until after his arrest but like he would make the murder kits plant them in rural places and then use them on then whoever would walk along the path at the right time and so he was smart about it he would never kill close to home Mm-hmm. He, which is what fucked him up with Samantha Koenig because he was in Alaska she was in Alaska and he killed her he yeah. would he I just I don't even understand how he got to this he wouldn't be in the same area twice he'd turn off his phone he paid for items with cash so he had no connection to any of the known victims 
For the courier murders, Israel flew to Chicago and rented a car and drove the thousand miles to Vermont and then used his kill kit that he'd hidden the two years prior just to avoid detection. The fact that he knew all that. Yeah. Is alarming. It's alarming. It's scary. He really did learn some things from Ted, which is terrifying. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's also the suspect in the murder of Jimmy Tidwell, who was an electrician who disappeared near Longview, Texas on February 15, 2012. FBI reports that Israel most likely burglarized 20 to 30 homes across the United States and robbed several banks between th- 2001 and 2012. And he may oh, be linked wow. to 11 deaths in the United States, possibly more outside the country because he also left the country. Exactly. Yeah. And there's no way he just stopped. There's yeah. no way. Yeah. This guy is insane and he unalived himself. But wait, as I said before, there's more. So he had that friendship with that friend, Chevy KOE. Mm-hmm. So Chevy is not so great himself. He's got a rap sheet as well. Oh, my God. So we're talking like serial serial killer best friends with a murderer. What? Yeah. Let's get into it. So (laughs) Chevy was born January 29th, 1973 in Orange Park, Florida. He was the oldest of eight sons. Oldest of eight. Born to Kirby and Gloria Koe, and was named after his father's favorite brand of autos, Chevrolet gross <laughs> i'm so sorry kid <laughs> his father had served in the navy during the vietnam war and when shelby was an infant his sorry when chevy was an infant his father moved the family to madison county north carolina 1985 kirby moved the family again this time near a deep lake in stevens county washington chevy entered colville junior high school as a ninth grader in 87 and he was an honor student then and at this point, he made friends with Israel Keys, And there's no knowing what those two got up to. Yeah. In 1988, his parents bu- uh, bought him and his younger... Or pulled both uh, him and his younger brother Cheney out of public school and homeschooled them f- from then on. And they were, of course, raised in the same kind of lifestyle as Israel with an extreme anti-government and white supremacist belief. Chevy formed a plan to bring down the U.S. government with the Aryan People's Republic militia. <laughs> like, had a, oh. a whole... I'm just imagining, like, papers with crayons, like, if we're going to take down yeah. the government. <laughs> Fuck the government. Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> so Chevy married Karina Gum and had three children, and then he took a second wife, Angie Marie, in 93, but that relationship only lasted 54 days. Can't imagine why. Oh, precisely. 54 days. <laughs> like, you can't take a second wife, dude. And you know that was only good for, like, maybe two weeks. And then yeah. those remaining. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else, Four terrible. weeks was like, fuck. <laughs> no, thank you. So, in 1995, Chevy and an accomplice, which they don't know the name of, kidnapped and robbed Malcolm and Jim Friedman, a couple who was believed to be Jewish and who owned the store that Atwood store that Chevy used to work at. I can't talk today. I've lost okay. it. Yeah. Um. In January 96, Chevy and another accomplice, Daniel Lewis Lee, left the state of Washington to Arkansas on January 11th, and they arrived at the home of William Frederick Mueller, who was a gun dealer that Chevy had already robbed before in the past. Oh, no. And oh, honey. So he was expecting to find valuable property at the house. He dressed in police raid clothing and entered the house of the Muellers, but they weren't home. And when they did get home, Daniel and Chevy overpowered and incapacitated William Frederick Mueller and his wife, Nancy Ann Mueller, 
And then they question Nancy's eight-year-old daughter, Sarah Elizabeth Powell. They're like, where's the cash and the guns? To this eight-year-old. Like, why would an eight-year-old know this? Well, they forced her to talk by shocking her with an electric cattle prod. Oh, my God. Yeah. And they found about $50,000 worth in cash, guns, and ammunition. They then shot each of the victims with a stun gun, causing them to pass out, and then placed plastic bags over their heads and sealed it with duct tape, suffocating them to death. Oh, that's terrifying. But wait, there's more. They then took the victims in Chevy's car to the Illinois Bayou, where they took rocks and taped them to them and threw them into the swamp. And their bodies were discovered in Lake Dardanelle near Russellville, Arkansas, in the late June of 96. Of course they're going to be discovered. You can't throw away bodies in water. You You're can't. going to be caught. <laughs> you can't. And, like, the thing that I'm getting with Chevy is that every single crime he's committing, it's with an accomplice. Israel just, had to have been one of them. There's no way At that... At least. Even when they were, like, kids, they had to have done it yeah. together. You know? Yeah. All right. So Chevy, and his, he took his family and the stolen property from the Mueller family to Spokane, Washington. But luckily for us, William Mueller, because, I mean, he'd been robbed before by the same person. Yeah. He put those some of those firearms on the Federal Firearm License Registry as insurance against potential theft. He good, was like, good. you know what? This has already happened. So the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives used the ID numbers in the registry to trace the stolen firearms and found they'd been purchased in Spokane from Chevy and his father. So like, so they found somebody else with the firearms mm-hmm. and traced it back to Chevy and his father. So, so it was like a pink dye for guns. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So on February 15th, 97, Chevy and his brother Cheney were involved in a shootout with the Ohio State Highway Patrol trooper John Harold Parker and a Clinton County Sheriff's Office deputy, Robert Gates, in Wilmington, Ohio. So they'd been stopped for driving too slowly and erratically on the road. And they too found... Too slow? Yeah, they're just like doing like weird stuff. And erratically. Like, what? what? How do you do that? So they found that the license plate and registration were both expired. Neither of the brothers could produce any sort of driver's license. And so they're oh. like, please step out of the car. And Chevy's <laughs> like, I'll step out of the car. But if you fucking touch me, I'm going to lose it. And they're like, we have okay. to search you. And he's just like, he's like, don't touch me. Like, he's like freaking out on them. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Sir, this is, we have to touch you. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's when the deputy, like, noticed that the state trooper had, like, him outside the car trying to check him. But he was like, no, don't touch me. Doing a and little so jig. <laughs> he pulled over and was, like, trying to help him. And the so the state trooper is having trouble and they're here to help him. And then the officers are calling a tow truck to get the car impounded. And at this point, Chevy's like, here's my chance. Tries to run away and escape. And oh they tackle him on top of the police car. And nice. At this point, that's when Cheney's like, oh, I'm going to reach for my handgun in the passenger side of the car, bow, 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 fire at the police officers, run off into the woods, and then Chevy runs into the car and runs off on, a, on this car chase. Holy shit. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, are the officers okay? Yeah. Yeah. The officers are fine. But okay, yay. Chevy then decides to drive to an electrical supply company parking lot. Mm-hmm. And gets into another shootout with two Wilmington police officers, Officer Richard Wood and Sergeant Robert Martin. Oh, my God. And a passerby motorist, 56-year-old Frank Marsden, saw it happening, then was shot in the shoulder. And both of these shootouts were recorded on dash cams. 
and of course broadcast in the media at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, just stop. Just give it up. <laughs> like get new hobbies. It's terrible. So Chevy and Cheney fled from the police and they travel secretly with their families. And this is like using routes of white supremacist families, hiding them. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. Disgusting. So at this point, they're traveling through different states, through different white supremacist families, and they end up in um, settling at a ranch in Utah. And they work for this local ranch owner uh, at the time, but because of their extremist ideology, the brothers start arguing more aggressively each day. And so Cheney ultimately is like, fuck this, I'm out, takes his family, Mm -hmm. and ends up surrendering himself to the local police. Oh. He was out, out. Like, like, he's done. done. Yeah. And then he's like, I'm going to take it a step further. My brother's back there at this ranch in Utah. Go find him. Oh, my God. So they arrested him on June 17th, 1997. Uh, And on February 20th, 1998, uh, Chevy pled guilty in Ohio State Court to felonious assault, attempted murder, and carrying a concealed weapon related to the shootout in Wilmington, Ohio. Later, in 1999, Chevy was convicted in federal court for the 96 murders of William Mueller and his wife, Nancy Mueller, and their eight-year-old daughter, Sarah Powell. He received three life sentences for these murders without the possibility of parole. So, fuck this life, fuck the next life, fuck the next life. Yeah. His mother, Gloria, and his brother, Cheney, served as prosecution witnesses and testified against him at the trial. Of course they did. (laughs) (laughs) But, of course, I mean, Cheney wasn't completely innocent and he had to serve 24 years in prison for attempted murder and weapons possession due to his role in the ohio shootout considering he fired first yeah cheney does not claim that chevy had involvement with the oklahoma city bombing on april 1995 what he did claim sorry he does claim that he thinks that there was an involvement there uh and so does the manager of the chateau motel who was in Spokane. He claimed to have seen Chevy with the convicted bomber, Timothy McVeigh, at the motel <gasps> four to six months prior to, to the bombing. And the manager also claimed that on the morning of the bombing, Chevy showed up to the motel and asked him to put on CNN and became ecstatic when the news of the bombing happened. Manager also claimed that Chevy had told him in the days prior that something big would happen on April 19th. Chevy denies all of these allegations and the FBI has found no ev- evidence that McVeigh had ever traveled to Spokane, but still it's kind of fishy. So this is like a but wait, there's more and a but wait, there's more, but wait, there's more. Yeah. Like you got friends in low places. In low places. Yeah. That is insane. So that's both Israel Keys and Chevy Kaoli. I like that crossover. I like that a lot. (laughs) Like who knew they were friends and my cousin's friends with their cousin. (laughs) That is insane. It is. Pretty crazy story. There you go. There you have it. Good job. Thanks. There you have it. <laughs> I don't know if I have any good goods. At this point, so we're pre-recording right now because Jamie heads to school. school. <laughs> so we're kind of on the same day at the moment. I'm sure a good good will happen within the next couple weeks. And we'll have and those for you in the next few weeks. That's fine. There you go. Yeah. There's more thunderstorms for the forecast for me. So. There you go. You <laughs> it may be small to goods. some people, but it's good for me. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this week. Uh, be sure to be sure to tune in next week, and we will uh, catch you then. Keep up with us on all our social medias at Bloodbath Podcast. But wait, there's more. Bye.
Bye 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 bye.